I'd like you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 18. If you don't have your own Bible, you can find it there on page 63 on the right side of the Pew Bible there in front of you. I want to jump in right with both feet this morning, sort of try to pick up where we left off from last week. And so we're just going to entitle this message, To See or Not to See, Part 2. Luke chapter 18, we'll read from verse 31 until the end of the chapter this week. And uh, Luke 18 has been a pretty amazing chapter. There are so many interconnections of all these accounts that we've been studying over the last several weeks. And we've seen the disciples rebuke the parents for bringing their children to Jesus and sort of to keep quiet. And yet Jesus says, hey, calls them to himself. He says, bring them here. And we see the same thing in the account we're going to look through today where the blind beggar was told to be quiet, and yet Jesus commands that he be brought close to himself. We've seen the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee and how the tax collector cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we see blind Bartimaeus cry out when he hears that Jesus is coming close to him, and he cries out the same, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We've seen those who are depending upon their own righteousness, their moral performance, their money, their worldly comforts, like the Pharisee or the rich young ruler, who will not stand justified before God, nor will they enter the kingdom of heaven. And contrasted that with those who are like the widow and the blind man, who are dependent, helpless, needy, vulnerable, as the ones who will in fact find mercy and grace from God and be the ones to be able to stand before Him justified. The proud will be humbled, the humbled will be exalted, the needy will have their needs met in God through Christ Jesus, and those who are full of themselves will never have the fullness of God. And so hopefully what you've been able to see in this chapter on this canvas that Jesus has painted so very clearly for us is that the only right and proper posture for you to come to Jesus Christ, the only pathway to heaven, the only way in which you will be able to enter the kingdom of God is for you to be wholly dependent on Him, is for you to be without any resources of your own, spiritually speaking, and for you to be thoroughly and utterly reliant upon the mercy of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you find yourself in that position, Jesus Christ is willing and wanting to receive you to himself if you cry out to him for mercy. Or as it is written in the Puritan prayer uh, entitled The Valley of Vision, the flagship title of the prayer book that we frequently use in our services, it says it like this, Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. To be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, and the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, and that in the valley is the place of vision." If there was anyone that was in a valley in his life, blind Bartimaeus would certainly qualify. But there is more that we need to learn from him, and more importantly, there is more that we need to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ in this text. So if you're there with me in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, 
I want to invite you to stand, if you're able to do so, for the reading of God's Word. Luke 18, beginning in verse 31, God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word says this, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, and mistreated and spit upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he called out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him, and when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him and glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father of all mercies, we pray that your holy word would be so imprinted upon our hearts that we would do nothing contrary to it believe nothing contradictory to it, and speak of it in no way inconsistent with what you have revealed. May your Spirit help us this morning to be able to see wonderful things in your Word. It's in the name of your beloved Son we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We begin this section with an ominous declaration by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples as as they were traveling south out of Galilee and coming even closer to Jesus' determined destiny. And that is that he would come into Jerusalem and be delivered up into the hands of sinful men to be crucified on a cross. And we saw that beginning in verse 31 of last week. And even though Jesus has told them on multiple occasions that this is what had to take place, As foretold by Scripture, the dazed disciples just don't seem to get it. In fact, if we were to flip back to Matthew 16 and verse 21, we have the interaction between the Lord Jesus and Peter when they told the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And and Peter pulled Jesus aside and began rebuking him and saying, God forbid that this should happen to you. And for that, Jesus changed Peter's name again for the third time in one chapter. And he told Peter, Satan, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your, your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And so none of them could see how this was going to all work out in light of their messianic expectations. Or to put it another way, the disciples couldn't fathom how it was that Jesus had to suffer. The disciples could only see the glories and not the groanings. 
They could only see a crown and not a cross. And so we had Jesus' determined destiny, the day's disciples, and then we began to look at the desperate beggar. As Jesus was approaching the city of Jericho, we met a, a blind man sitting on the side of the road. As we mentioned last week, this is not the only beggar that's there in this account, but in Matthew 20 and verse 30, it tells us that there were actually two blind beggars sitting by the road. And Mark chapter 10 and verse 46 goes even further, and he identifies that man that cried out as Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And so more than likely, there were two men here, but Bartimaeus is sort of the the spokesman, if you will. He's the one that the spotlight is shining upon. But this man is sitting on the side of the road, and of all things, of all the senses that he has lost, it is the loss of his sight. I don't know about you, but of all the five senses that I could possibly lose, my sight would be one of the last things that I would want to lose. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had an eye injury at a, at a fire that I was on, and the doctors thought he saw something in my eye, and he numbed it a little bit, and then he came down with an 18-gauge needle into my eye to scrape something to, that he thought was in there. And he made me about as tense as I could possibly be at that moment. But this man is blind. He's, he's unable to see the beauty of the world around him. He's unable to see the faces of, of those whom he loved. He's confined to a dark existence. And because of this, he is extremely limited in what he can provide for himself and is completely dependent on the kindness of others to help him survive. In the ancient world, perhaps nothing was as debilitating as that of being blind. Because of the severeness of this handicap, a blind person was unable to produce and was generally confined to begging and thus lived in abject poverty. Perhaps his family members could not care for him and all the needs that he had, and so they set him by the roadside. And so all you could typically do is nothing more to extend an empty hand as he was unable to provide anything for himself. He saw nothing but blackness and darkness every morning, every noon, and every night. But here he is on the side of the road, and he's in the right place at the right time because his sense of hearing is working just fine. This has been the testimony of many people that when they have a loss of one of their senses, their other senses seem to be heightened just a bit. Their hearing or, or their touch, a blind person can now read with just their fingertips. But here he is, and his ears are working fine. Maybe he hears the lowing of, of cattle or the bleeding of goats, or maybe he hears these multitude of footsteps and increasing chatter and commotion that goes along as a large crowd starts to pass by, but he senses that something is different. His, his ears perk up, kind of like a horse in a corral. When they, when they hear something, they focus on them to the front, and his ears are perked up, his senses are heightened, and he asks someone who is passing by, what is all this? And they tell him, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth that is passing by. And notice Bartimaeus, he doesn't say, well, well who's that? Jesus? I've never heard of him. But he does know exactly who he is. The news of a death being able to hear, the demoniacs being made whole, paralytics being able to walk, the blind receiving their sight, and even the dead being raised to life have reached the ears of Bartimaeus. 
This wasn't fake news because everyone was talking about the miracles of this Jesus of Nazareth. And so we can imagine Bartimaeus hearing this and having his, his heart leap in his chest and his pulse beginning to race and the adrenaline rush that he must have had because here is his dream come true. What if someday, what if someday of all the millions of people that could possibly be in this crowd coming through my little town of Jericho, what if someday this Jesus would ever cross my path? And so that he realizes that the healer is passing by. This is a the moment in time that will never be replicated again. This is a now or never opportunity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Bartimaeus can't hold it in. He blurts it out. He can't hold back. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this wasn't just a a passive or a demure voice that he's using, but he's screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He wants his attention. Wherever Jesus is in this sea of people that he hears, Bartimaeus wants to be heard, and his voice must rise up over the sea of all the competing sounds, repeatedly, over and over, again with a desperate voice. And we noted that he uses a, a title for Jesus. It's rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. Jesus, Son of David. A title that's not been used anywhere else in Luke before. And in doing so, Bartimaeus is saying, you are the one, you are the one the Old Testament has prophesied about. You are the one who has the right to be seated on the throne of David. And so although Bartimaeus was blind and he could not see with his physical eyes, he could see better than the disciples with his spiritual eyes and that he recognized that this Jesus must be the anointed one of God. The disciples are struggling to see that Jesus is the Messiah with all of this suffering and death and Jerusalem talk, but not Bartimaeus. He can see far better than they can that this is Jesus, the Son of David. Surely, God must have been at work in this man's lost heart. Surely, God must have illuminated his understanding as to who Jesus was and began to shine gospel light into his heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is why we pray... When we witness to our relatives, our co-workers, our children, our friends, because we need God's Spirit to intervene. We need God's divine intervention. We need God to have mercy on those that we are testifying to about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit must come in and do His work of regeneration. He must come and give them a heart of flesh, take away their heart of stone, and give them eyes to see and ears to hear. No one opens their own blind eyes. No one raises themselves from a dead life and creates their own faith. uh, All of salvation 
is owing to God's sovereign grace. Because as Luke 18, 27 remind us, he said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And we need him to help those that we plead with to open their eyes. Is there someone that you know of this morning that needs the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in their life? They don't see Jesus as the Messiah or as their Savior and their Lord. Is there some family member that you've told them and told them about Jesus Christ and they just don't seem to get it? Then you must not only witness to them and testify to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, but you must pray that God would give them some eyes to see. Bartimaeus sees. And so he cries out again and again and again, Jesus, have mercy on me. But then the people leading the pack hear him and they tell him, be quiet, in verse 39. And Mark tells us that the many were telling him to be quiet. They're ganging up on Bartimaeus and telling him, just sit there and be a beggar. Don't bother the master. But that doesn't stop him. He's not deterred. Even if a a chorus of competing voices are telling him to stop calling out to Jesus, he will not relent. He cries out again and again and again, have mercy on me, son of David. We must be like Bartimaeus as we pray to Christ. And there must be this intensity and this sense of urgency. There must be this sense of desperation, almost like that of Jacob, who wrestled with the Lord through the night in Genesis 32 and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. We must see our need. We must see our helplessness, just like the widow and the tax collector and the children, and now even Bartimaeus in all of chapter 18. And perhaps we need to pray that the Lord would make us as desperate as Bartimaeus. That no matter what the competing voices are saying, that no matter what, uh, how crazy my family tells me that I am, that no matter what the crowd says, and that I will stand alone if I have to for Jesus Christ. And I will cry out to you and you alone for mercy in my life. We've seen the determined destiny the dazed disciple, and the desperate beggar. But then we notice our discerning Savior beginning in verse 40. It says, And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. Praise be to God for a discerning Savior. Praise God for a Savior who hears a voice in the crowd that cries out in faith to him. Praise God that this is a Savior that takes notice, that He hears, that He stops, that He answers, that He blesses. Praise God for such a Savior as this, that even in the midst of a large crowd, that even though He had set His face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, that He would not be deterred, He hears the voice of one crying out to Him, and He stops to answer this man. We not only have a God who speaks as incredible as that is, but the wonder of wonders is that we also have a God who listens. Psalm 65, 2 says that it is the Father who hears prayer. Psalm 66, 19 through 20 says that, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. 
In this man's day of distress, in Bartimaeus' time of trouble, he called out to the Lord in faith, and the Lord heard and answered. And this is all throughout the Psalms, is that God is eager to hear the cries of his people. Psalm 6 6 and verse 8 says, For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Psalm 10, 17 says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Psalm 18, 6, it says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God for help. And he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came to his ears. Psalm 28, 6 says, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. And even though Jesus has his his face towards Jerusalem, even though he has the cross and all the sufferings in view, nevertheless, he stops as if there is nothing else going on in the world. But this one cry for help, he must attend to. And he comes to a complete halt and he gives his undivided attention to Bartimaeus. Beloved, this is what Jesus Christ does for you and me. Jesus is alive and well. He is seated on his rightful throne and he is at the right hand of the Father and it is as if your voice lifted up to him is the only voice that he hears. It's as if he stops, if if his business of governing and ordering the universe and he stops and he hears the voice of your supplications and your prayers. And he gives his undivided attention to attend to your needs as one of his beloved children. Hebrews 4.16 says that we are to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Not just to draw near, not just to draw near to the throne of grace, but to draw near with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can approach confidently because God is willing and wanting to hear your cry. You can approach confidently because God wants to hear your plea. God wants to know your distress and troubles. And when you cry out to the Lord, when you lift your heart in prayer to God, to the infinite God of the universe, He is not too busy for the likes of you. He's not annoyed by your petitions. He wants to hear from you like a loving father wants to hear from his dearly beloved children. Have you given up on praying? Have you said, it's just me again, Lord, same old stuff? He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your plea. So Jesus does the same here with Bartimaeus, and he commands that he be brought near to him. And this essentially rebukes those who are telling him to be quiet and telling them, commanding them, bring Bartimaeus close. We've seen this before in in verse 16 when the people were bringing their babies to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus says to them, let the little children come to me. I'm not too busy. I've come for the likes of these. So Bartimaeus is, is brought near to Jesus, and our Lord speaks to him in verse 41. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What a reflection of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is willing, and he is ready to help this blind man at the point of his need. He's not wanting to shame the disciples and say to them, see, even a blind man can see that I'm the son of David. 
But in his, in his heart that is full of loving kindness and compassion, he wanted to help this man in his time of need. Even though the, the weight of the cross is on his mind, even though he's distressed about the baptism that he must undergo, he is willing and ready to stop and help this man in the hour of his need. And since this text is alive and it is active for us today, and because we don't have a high priest that is bound to the grave, but he is alive and well and seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf, how would you answer that question this morning? What do you want me to do for you? What would you ask for? If Jesus Christ were in here today and he said he was sitting there right now beside you and he would ask you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? Do you need to be saved? Then you need to ask him to save you. Do you wrestle with anxiety? Then ask him to calm your anxious heart. Are you discouraged and downtrodden? Then ask him to lift your head. Do you need wisdom and guidance? Then ask Him to give it to you and show you the way. Do you struggle with a sin that seems to just overtake you, whether it be pride or lust or being factious, careless words that come out of your mouth, anger? Then ask Him, change my heart, O God, and make it ever true. What do you want me to do for you? If you don't hear anything else today, hear this, that Jesus is willing to, and ready to come to your aid. If you will just ask Him, Lord, help me. Lord, give me strength when I'm weak. Help me not to sin against you. Help my heart to be having more affections on you than anything in this world. Jesus Christ is willing and ready to come to your aid today. So he asked this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. I want to be able to see. We don't know how long he's been blind. He could have been born with sight, lost it, or somewhere along the line he lost his eyes. We don't know. The text doesn't really tell us, but he just wants to see. Help me to see so that I won't be beaten and robbed by people as I sit on the side of the road begging. Help me to see so that I can take delight in my little grandchild's face. Help me to see so that I don't have to suffer in abject poverty and go hungry all the time, Lord. I want to regain my sight. Help me to see. And notice he calls him Lord. He's coming in submission. He's coming in surrender. He's recognizing who Jesus is. He says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And then lastly, notice the dramatic conversion that begins in verse 42. What a change that this made in this man's life. It says, Jesus replied and said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and he began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. No fanfare, no lightning flashing in the sky, no whirlwind, just the words, Receive your sight. And he says, Your faith has made you well. In other words, your confidence in me has made you well. Your trust in me has made you well. Your calling upon my name has made you well. You, you're fighting against the resistance of the crowd. 
You're lifting up the voice louder than any other voice in the crowd here. It is your faith that has saved you. And there's a, there's a double meaning here in this text. And that this man is instantly and immediately saved, both physically and spiritually. His eyes are made new, but far more importantly, his heart is made new. He has not only come out of physical darkness, but he has also come out of spiritual darkness. Because we see that in his response, and that he began following him and glorifying God. In other words, his changed life was manifested in his obedience. This is the obedience of faith that Romans 1.5 talks about. There is a changed life. There is a change of desires. Many people say they know Christ, they believe Him, but you have no fruit that is evident. And if there is no fruit, there is no root. But this man, he is obedient. He's, he's changed. He has a change of desires, a changed life. He's no longer living for himself, but he's living for Christ. A true faith produces a joy in God and a commitment to follow Jesus forever. And he began following after Christ. This is what Jesus said in, in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Following me means to, uh, that he, he hates what he hates and loves what Jesus loves. Following him means to be prepared to face the same kind of rejection that he will endure. Following him means to have a passion for the same things that Jesus is passionate for. Following him means that you are willing to stand for the truth, even if no one else in the room will. Following him means you serve others, even to the point where it costs you something, like your money or your time or your physical exertion. Following him means to obey his commandments and to walk in his ways. Following him means that you are willing to do whatsoever for the glory of God, just as he came to glorify the Father. This man went away, restored, healed, and more importantly, saved. Imagine how tragic it would have been had he listened to the crowd. How tragic it would have been for him to have kept quiet. Unless this blind beggar had risen his voice at that very moment, he would have been confined to darkness for all of eternity. Have you called out to Jesus Christ in faith? Don't let Jesus pass by without calling out to him for mercy. Have you come to the point where you see yourself as blind Bartimaeus, helpless, dependent, and with the only hope that Jesus and Jesus alone can save you? And for those of us that are saved, we have the great hope and confidence that we shall one day see our Savior ever more clearly when we see Him face to face. Fanny Crosby was a blind woman. She wrote over 9,000 hymns. One well-meaning preacher quipped at her one time. He said, I think it's great, a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when He showered so many other gifts upon you. And having heard this so many times, Fanny Crosby replied, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? She said, because when I get to heaven and I receive my sight, the first face 
that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Beloved, this is the great hope that we have. It's not all the streets of gold and pearly gates. It's but that we get Jesus Christ. We get to see him face to face forever. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through it. And Father, I pray if anyone does not know you today, who does not have eyes to see you as their Lord and Savior, that you would open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see your beauty in Christ Jesus. That they will call upon the name of the Lord, pleading for mercy, and see that there is nothing of their own strength that will get them into your presence, but there is only what Christ has provided in himself. Father, for those of us this morning that are walking with Christ and knowing Christ, we just pray that you would help to make us more and more desperate for God. We get so complacent. Our fires of our heart grow cold sometimes, Lord. We just pray that we would be desperate for you. That Christ would be the chief desire of our hearts. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've got uh, one more thing we're going to do. And actually, uh, we typically do it in a 